All right, good morning, Orlando Baptist Church. Welcome to Church at Home this Sunday, December 26th. I hope you had an incredible time with your family for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And I love this kind of season right here in between Christmas and New Year's. It's a little bit of a strange time of year, this kind of in between. Christmas isn't quite over yet, but we're not into New Year's. Um, I love this time of year because it's, it's for me, so full of anticipation and, and hope. I, I'm, I've kind of got my checklist of things that I want to get done as we head into the new year, but, but I'm still kind of in vacation mode too. I don't know about you guys, um, but I'm, I'm enjoying these couple of days post-Christmas uh, before we hit the new year full on. Um, how many of you are, you're the kind of people that just leave your Christmas decorations up for a long time? after Christmas. Just in the comment section below, just, just type in or put a hand raise emoji. If you're the kind of people that, that love to keep your Christmas decorations up until the last possible second. And then if, how many of you are the kind of people that you've already taken your Christmas decorations down? As soon as the last present was open, you know, you were, you were packing things away. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite that extreme, but I have already started taking a lot of things down. Um, man, there's something really satisfying about getting all the wrapping paper cleaned up after the Christmas, you know, uh, explosion on Christmas morning. And uh, we're starting to take down lights and decorations and the trees coming down soon uh, in anticipation for the new year. And, and that's what I love about this season. It, it's kind of a, it's a time that's full of potential. It, it's this in-between time. It, it's not quite the new year yet, but, but the the past year is, is coming to an end and, and there's so much hope and potential. There's so much um, anticipation for what's coming next. So I hope uh, I'm going to start cleaning out my garage uh, in the coming week. New Year's is always time to clean out the garage. I usually take some of my Christmas cash and go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy some new storage bins and shelves and I'll get that thing whipped into shape. It will be clean for probably two weeks at least before everything's a wreck again. Uh, last year I started building uh, a new shed in my backyard for my lawnmower and all of my yard tools. That was my big, you know, New Year's uh, organizational project. I started it in January. It took me until almost Easter to get it finished, but I, I am proud to tell you that it is done and it's great. Everything fits in there. It's a little, it's a little tight, but anyway. Um, so some of you probably have some projects that you're looking forward to for the new year. And uh, as, as we get closer, um, you, you'll be able to get those things done. But right now, we're in this in-between season. And, and today we're gonna look at a story from scripture that ties into our uh, incarnation series, Wondrous Mystery, that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Uh, but it's a story that is only found in the Gospel of Luke. It, it's unique in, in Luke's Gospel. And it's the story of Jesus in the temple. If you remember the story, Jesus was 12 years old and he's at the temple uh, with his parents for Passover and, and he gets lost, they leave him behind. Uh, but in this story, um, it, it doesn't really, it fits right at the end of the Christmas narrative in Luke chapter two, uh, but, it, but it comes before Jesus' earthly ministry really takes off. It's this kind of in-between story. We're not exactly sure where to fit it. It's not baby Jesus, but it's not 
King Jesus either. It's not Jesus the Galilean carpenter. It's, it's this 12-year-old boy. And so this morning, as we look at this story and kind of reflect on this in-between season that we're in, I think we can learn a lot about Jesus and uh, why he came, the, the mission and ministry that the Father had given him. But, but we can also reflect on this in-between season in our own lives and what it means for us. So let me read the scripture out of Luke chapter 2. I'm just going to read uh, the first couple of verses, Luke t- chapter 2, verse 39 and 40. And then we'll pray and get into the message today. So here we go, Luke 2, verse 39. It says, when they had completed everything according to... Uh, to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for the celebration of this Christmas season that we've just been through together. We thank you for uh, the reality of the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, born and human flesh. And this morning, as we reflect on the life of Christ, even as a young, a young boy, a young man uh, who grew up in Galilee and who went to Jerusalem for the Passover, I pray that you would help us to reflect on what you're doing in our lives. And as we're in this kind of in-between season between Christmas and the new year, um, Lord, I pray that you would just Fill us with hope and anticipation for all that you're doing. And God, maybe there's some this morning who are in an in-between season in their own life, just kind of stuck in the middle. I pray that you would encourage them this morning with with your perfect plan, with your wisdom. Speak to us through your word today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, Luke chapter two tells us about Jesus, tells us about Mary and Joseph and tells us that when everything was completed according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. Now, Luke chapter two uh, skips a, a couple parts of the Christmas story. Uh, in Matthew chapter two, we, we learn about the wise men who come from the east and they come and, and worship uh, the child. We, we learn about uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus fleeing to Egypt to escape uh, the wrath of King Herod as, as an angel appeared to Joseph in the night and told him, take your family and go to Egypt. Um, Matthew chapter two tells us that after King Herod died, Mary and Joseph and Jesus go back to Galilee. Uh, but Luke, when he writes his gospel, he decides to skip that part of the story. Um, but I just want to tell you this morning, there's no tension or conflict in between these two accounts. Luke just simply includes the things that he thought were most important and And Matthew includes the things that he thought were most important. But the way this fits together in in Luke chapter two, uh, we see Jesus' birth and then we see Jesus taken to the temple by Mary and Joseph in the middle of Luke chapter two where he's taken uh, at eight days old to be circumcised and dedicated to the Lord. And we see the prayer of Anna and of Simeon, these these two older saints who had waited for the coming of the Messiah, and they have these prayers and and prophecies that they speak over the baby child, Jesus. And sometime after that, um, based on the synthesis of Matthew and Luke, we know that the the wise men show up, and and they meet uh, Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, and they give their gifts to Jesus, and then an angel appears to Joseph and tells them to flee. 
And so sometime after that, sometime after the death of Herod, after the time that Mary and Joseph and Jesus leave Egypt, uh, Luke chapter two, verse 39 picks up. It says, when they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town, Nazareth. And the boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom and God's grace was on him. We also see something that's really important here um, about the place where Jesus grew up. He grew up in Galilee, in Nazareth of Galilee. In Isaiah chapter nine, the prophet Isaiah tells us about uh, the importance of this place called Galilee. At this time in history, Galilee is a, is a backwater, nothing town. Uh, the good religious Jews looked down on this region of Israel and the people who lived there. But in Isaiah chapter nine, verse one, um, the, the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ, says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. These are regions in the northern part of Israel. But in the future, he, God, will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations." And then verse six tells us how is he gonna bring honor to Galilee? Well, a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the writer Isaiah talks about the importance of this place, Galilee. It's the place where, where this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace will, will grow up. And we see in the life of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of this prophecy. And then let's continue in, in Luke chapter two. In verse 41, it tells us that every year, his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. The Passover was one of three really important festivals in the life of, of uh, the Jewish people. There were three festivals every year where God commanded the people to go back to Jerusalem and Passover was one of these festivals. And growing up in Nazareth, uh, Jesus, he would have had family and he would have had friends. You know, um, probably Joseph's family was from that region. Mary's family was from that region. And so he had cousins and he had aunts and uncles. And, uh, and, and they gathered together for Passover to go to the city of Jerusalem. And, it, you know, it reminds me of the Christmas season. I, I hope some of you got to spend time with your family. Maybe some of you even went on a little road trip to be with your family. And uh, as, we, as we look at this story of Jesus and Mary and Joseph going to Jerusalem for Passover, we see the anticipation of this incredible holiday, right? Um, when, when Jesus got to go to the city of Jerusalem for, for, for Passover, that was exciting. There were probably some really special, you know, street vendors that had the, his favorite holiday treats, you know, that he could eat for Passover, um, kind of like when you go to the fair and you get deep fried Twinkies and deep fried Oreos, <laughs> the kind of things you can only get, right, at the, at the uh, state fair. And I, I can imagine that this group of people from, from Galilee, from Nazareth, when they went to Jerusalem, they were looking forward to, I can't wait to get to Jerusalem and I'm gonna get, you know, my favorite street kebabs or my favorite, uh, whatever, I don't know, my favorite dates, my favorite... Uh, 
baklava. I, I don't know what they had at the street vendors for the Passover in Jerusalem, uh, but, I, but I know it was an incredible festive time. So verse 41, every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover. Verse 42, and when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking around for him and among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. So how many of you have ever lost your kid? I guess probably don't put that in the comment section because somebody might judge you, not me, because I've lost my kids before. And it's a, it is a terrifying thing, even if it's just for a minute. Uh, one time at Disney, I lost sight of where one of my kids was and it only lasted for about 30 seconds, but it was this 30 seconds of terror because there were so many people, there were crowds everywhere. And uh, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus and they got a full day's journey away. And maybe you're thinking, how in the world does this happen? Um, but as I said earlier, when they went from Nazareth to Jerusalem, they were in a big traveling party. All of the people from Nazareth got together, friends and relatives, and they traveled together in a big caravan. And it would also be typical at this time in history that the men and the older boys would travel in a pack together and, and the women, the moms and, and the little kids would travel in a pack together. And Jesus was at this unique stage in his life. He was 12 years old. When he would turn 13, he would be bar mitzvah. He would officially become a young man uh, according to the custom of, of Israel. Uh, and so at the age of 12, he's kind of in this in-between time. He, he's not a little kid anymore, right? But he's not a, a young man yet, but he could pass in either group. He, he, he might've been traveling with Mary and the women and the little kids, or just as easily, he might've been traveling with Joseph and, and the bigger uh, boys, you know? And, and, and so Mary probably assumed that Jesus was walking with Joseph and Joseph probably assumed that Jesus was walking with Mary and until they came to the place where they were gonna camp out and sleep for the night and they both realized that he was missing. But I love the thought of Jesus traveling with his friends and with his relatives. I love the, the reality that Jesus as a young boy was traveling with Joseph and with his other male relatives, and he was hearing them talk about their faith. He was hearing them talk about the politics of the day. He, he was hearing them talk about the oppression of the Roman government and the hope that one day a Messiah would come. And, and Jesus is learning from them, and he's, and, he's, and he's hearing what they're saying. But this trip to Jerusalem for the Passover was unlike any other because the passage tells us that Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Tells us that Mary and Joseph went a full day before they realized it. And then verse 46 says this. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So the way we account for this three days is basically this. Mary and Joseph went a full day away from Jerusalem. 
they realized Jesus was gone, but it was too late to do anything. So they slept for the night. And then the next day, it took them a full day to get back to Jerusalem. About the time they got to Jerusalem, it was night. There was nothing they could do. And and then it took them the next day to find Jesus. So this passage tells us after three days, they found him in the temple. It wasn't like they spent three days in Jerusalem looking for him after they got back to Jerusalem. But they find him sitting in the temple among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Uh, this was a typical way that, that, uh, that young men were trained at this time in Jewish history. The, the Jewish rabbis and leaders in the local synagogues in their own towns or in the temple would ask questions of, of the boys and ask them questions about the Torah and about the, the prophets and about the Psalms and the history of the Old Testament. And they would see how they could answer the questions. And, and then the young men would ask questions back to the teachers and they would learn a little bit more and, and they, would, they would give and take. And it, it, was, it was not just learning by listening to lectures, but it was this interactive style of learning. And so it tells us that Jesus is sitting there among the teachers. He's listening to them and asking them questions. And then verse 47 tells us that all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. Jesus, even at this stage of his life, was, was impressive to everyone who was listening. Fully God, fully man, but he's a 12-year-old boy. You know, um, a lot of times I think for us, baby Jesus in the manger makes sense. And, and then we think about, Jesus who fed the 5,000 and who walked on water and who would ultimately die on the cross for our sins. But like middle school Jesus, that's, that's a little weird. I was a youth pastor for a long time and I remember 12-year-old boys. And there's not, a, there's not a lot impressive about 12-year-old boys, but this passage tells us that Jesus is sitting there speaking and talking to the teachers in the temple and they're, uh, they're impressed, they're astounded at his understanding. Then it says this, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. That question makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, as a parent and, and you go and you find your, your child who doesn't seem to be upset at all, who doesn't seem to be looking for you. They're just sitting and uh, enjoying some time talking to the leaders and the temple. And the mother says, son, what in the world have you done? Why have you treated us like this? And she says, your father and I have been searching for you. And of course, she's talking about Joseph, who was Jesus' earthly father. We know scripture is really clear that Jesus uh, was born of a virgin, that, that Mary was his physical mother, uh, but Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, but, but Joseph raised Jesus as his own. And so Mary says, your father and I have been searching for you. And then Jesus answers this kind of astonishing answer in verse 49. First, he says, why were you searching for me? He asked them, didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? And it's kind of a stark contrast to Mary's statement, your father and I are looking for you. And, and Jesus says, well, I'm here in my father's house. Another way to translate that phrase, father's house, is 
in the King James Version, it says, I must be about my father's business. Uh, because the word there, house, could also mean household affairs or household business. And it's this idea that Jesus is, is doing what his father wants him to do. He's doing the will of his father. He's there in his father's house doing his father's business. And verse 50 tells us that Mary and Joseph did not understand what he said to them. We know that Mary and Joseph know that Jesus is special. They, they, they even know an angel appeared to both of them to say that the child that will be born to you is the son of God. Uh, an angel appeared to Mary and then separately an angel appeared to Joseph. They know that Jesus' birth was miraculous because they know that they hadn't been together sexually uh, to get pregnant. And, and so this baby that Mary gave birth to was this immaculate virgin birth. Um, they, they know that the night Jesus was born, shepherds showed up and told them this story about angels that appeared in the field and said, a savior is born to you in the city of David. And that those shepherds went all throughout the countryside to tell people about the birth of this savior. Luke 2 tells us that Mary treasured those things. She, she stored them up in her heart. Mark chapter 2 tells us that wise men came along and, and they brought gifts to this newborn baby. And again, an angelic appearance to Joseph to tell them to flee to Egypt. They, they know that Jesus is not any ordinary baby, but up to this point in Jesus' life, from his birth to now as a 12-year-old boy, it had been about a, a decade of a pretty normal existence. Jesus learned to walk. Jesus learned to talk. Jesus learned his colors with his mother, you know, she pointed at the grass, Jesus, this is green. And Jesus said, green, and this is the sky and the sky is blue. Jesus' life had been pretty ordinary up to that point, but all of the sudden we see this breakthrough glimpse of who Jesus really is. He, he's not just a 12-year-old boy. He is the son of God. He is God incarnate as we've been talking about for the last four weeks. Although his life has looked pretty ordinary up to this point. He is not ordinary at all, and he's been sent for a special purpose. And Jesus reminds Mary and Joseph that he has to do his father's will, that he has to accomplish the, the mission that his father has given him. So this little phrase, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? I must be in my father's house accomplishing the will of my father, uh, causes me to, to remember several times in the New Testament where Jesus talks about his father's business, talks about his father's will. And so I want to look at some of these passages where Jesus walks through and, and tells us what is the will of his father. In John chapter 4, you'll remember the story. Jesus is going through uh, the region of Samaria. He's at a town called Sychar, and he sits down at a well, and he meets the Samaritan woman. And he uh, tells her, she, as, by her own testimony, everything she's ever did, ever done. And uh, he points her and, and tells her, I am the living water. If you, if you drink from me, you will never thirst again. And, and he makes plain to her the way of salvation. And she goes and brings the whole town to come and hear the good news about Jesus. Jesus claimed that he is the Messiah. And it tells us that after Jesus has the conversation with this Samaritan woman, that his disciples show back up with some lunch. And so John 4, 
Verse 31 says, In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? And I love, I, I always love these little side conversations that the, that the disciples have. Jesus makes a statement to, to them like, I have food that you don't know about. And they clearly have no idea what he's talking about. And so they start elbowing each other and saying, do you think somebody brought him something? Uh, who, who could have done it? Who, who could have brought him food? And Jesus sees what they're talking about. And in verse 34, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This, this phrase, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is what Jesus was talking about in the temple. This is his father's business. This is the will of his father. This is what the father has sent him to do. What the father has sent him to accomplish and again, just like Mary and Joseph didn't understand what Jesus was up to, the disciples didn't quite understand it either. But Jesus says, I'm here to do the will of my Father. In John chapter 6, we see another account where Jesus is talking to his disciples and talking to a crowd gathered around, around him. And he says this in verse 35, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Verse 36, but as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Uh, I, I wanna stop right here for a minute because you know, a, a lot of times we, we look at Mary and Joseph and we think, well, how, how did they not understand what was going on? How did they not understand who Jesus was? And, and we look at the disciples and we say, how did they not understand who Jesus was? I mean, if, if he was here with me, then, then surely I would believe and, and surely I would follow him. But Jesus is saying to those gathered around him, you, you've seen me and yet you still don't believe. You still don't understand who I am. You still don't understand what I've come to do. Verse 37, Jesus says, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. It's this picture of salvation that Jesus has come to save. And verse 38 says, I have come down from heaven, and again, notice this phrase again, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, Jesus is pointing back to his Father's will, his Father's purpose, his father's mission, his father's business. I have come not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And verse 39, it continues, it says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. What is God's will? God's will is that Jesus should save those who the father has given him, that he should preserve those that the Father has given him. This is the will of the one who sent Jesus, he says. Verse 40, it, it continues again, the same idea. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says, the will of the Father is that everyone who looks to the Son who puts their faith in the Son of God will have eternal life and Jesus will raise them up 
on the last day, Jesus understands the mission that God has given him. He understands the will of his father. He understands his purpose, even though Mary and Joseph didn't understand it when he was a 12-year-old boy and they got this little glimpse into what he was doing and the disciples didn't fully understand it. But Jesus understood the will of his father. Over and over throughout the gospels, Jesus says, I do whatever the father, I say whatever the father tells me to say. I am about my father's business. I will do the will of my father. We even see Jesus in the garden praying the prayer, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And even as a 12-year-old boy, we see a glimpse of God incarnate. As a 12-year-old boy who understands the will and purpose of his father, And finally, in John chapter 19, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, says when he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. What is finished? The mission that his father had given him. The business of his father that he recognized in the temple as a 12-year-old boy, the purpose of his father, the will of his father was finished on the cross when he had made payment. Scripture says propitiation for sins was the will of the father. Isaiah 53 tells us that the Lord was pleased to crush him. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his head, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. That the Father's business, the Father's purpose, the Father's will that Jesus came to fulfill, that he recognized as a 12-year-old boy in the temple, was finally accomplished on the cross. When Jesus poured out his life for us. And Isaiah 53 tells us that the father was pleased in that. It was the Lord's pleasure for this to be accomplished. Now, here's what's crazy, right? So we have Jesus in the temple, 12-year-old boy. He shows up. He stays behind in Jerusalem. Uh, His parents leave. They're with the group, and, and they realize he's missing. They come back to the temple. They find him, and we see this little glimpse where Jesus says, Of course, I'm here in my father's house doing my father's business, but let's go back to Luke chapter two and verse 51, because it tells us, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. We see this glimpse in the temple of this 12-year-old boy who, who is the son of God, who came to accomplish the salvation of humanity on the cross. But the story ends with Jesus going back to Nazareth and being an obedient son to his parents. He does the chores that he's supposed to do. He, when they tell him, it's time to go to bed, Jesus, he says, yes, ma'am, I'm, I'm off to bed right? It's this crazy picture, this wondrous mystery of God incarnate in human flesh, and not just in human flesh, who grew up. Jesus was just as, he grew from a baby to a boy. He grew from a boy to a man, and Jesus was just as much God when he was a baby in a manger as he was as a 12-year-old boy in the temple as he was 
on the day he hung on the cross and said, it is finished. And here's what I think is one of the important applications for us. This little one-off story, this kind of story that doesn't fit in, in any, in our kind of grand narrative of Jesus' life. It, it, it's only recorded in the Gospel of Luke, and it's almost just kind of a, an, a small aside. It's this in-between awkward story that we're not quite sure where to fit in. It reminds us that God is working out his plan even in the in-between times. God is working out his plan even in the in-between times. Maybe in your own life, you, you feel like you've been in kind of an in-between season, this kind of weird spot where, where you're waiting for something to happen, but it hasn't quite happened, where maybe something has come to an end in your life and you're wondering what the next season is going to look like. I mean, for all of us, this past COVID pandemic season has, has been an in-between time. It's been strange Politically, socially, culturally, we are in a strange in-between season. For some of us, even more personally, we've experienced loss and it's caused us to be in this strange in-between season. For some of us, we've experienced conflict and broken relationships and it causes us to be in this really strange in-between season. For some of us, maybe, maybe for some of you, your, your kids are growing up and they don't need you like they used to when they were little and you find yourself in this strange in-between season. You're almost an empty nester and you're not quite sure what to do with it. This story reminds us that God is working out his plan even in these in-between seasons. The Advent season, it reminds us that just like in the Old Testament, God's people were waiting on the coming of Messiah. Even today, we are waiting on the return of Jesus Christ to make every wrong right, to, to reign in justice and, and to set up his kingdom that will never end. That's a spiritual reality, but it's also a personal reality. And we experience these in-between seasons of our life. And I'm grateful for little stories like this that remind us that God is working in the middle of all of it. So as you sit in your living room or maybe as you watch this in your car on the way uh, for a little New Year's getaway, uh, maybe you'll watch it back later after our, our live stream of this on Sunday the 26th. Wherever you are, if you find yourself in kind of an in-between season, this season in between Christmas and in between New Year's, I just wanna remind you this morning that God is working. And that Jesus Christ, um, he has already won the victory. Whatever, whatever the question is in your life, whatever the, uh, the uncertainty in your life, whatever the anxiety in your life, you can take it to him. You can go boldly to him. As we talked about a couple weeks ago in our Sunday morning series, when we, we talked about the reality of Jesus' humanity, we have a great high priest who suffered and who was tempted just as we are. And so we can go boldly before him, before his throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. So in these next few days of this in-between season, I just want to invite you 
to lean in. I want to invite you to trust. I want to invite you to look forward with anticipation all that God will do in the days ahead because scripture assures us that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. God, we love you this morning. Thank you for this little reminder, this story of Jesus as a young boy in the temple. Thank you for the picture that this gives us of Jesus' humanity. Reminds us that, that, that we can relate to Jesus. He grew up just like we grew up. He had awkward seasons in his life just like we do. He really is a great high priest who's suffered as we suffer, who's tempted as we have been tempted. We can trust him. We can relate to him. And because of that, we can ultimately know you because Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. And we can trust you. You're personal and you're imminent. As Hebrews says, we can come boldly before you. You are now our Abba, Father. And so God, I pray for those who are in an in-between season of their life a season of waiting, maybe a season of frustration, a season of, of unknowns. God, I pray that you would encourage them that you are working, that they can trust you. God, for all of us in these next few days, before we enter into a new year, help us to, to renew our faith and trust and hope in you once again and look forward with anticipation all that you will do. God, we pray that you would be glorified in our lives and in the life of Orlando Baptist Church in the coming year. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, if I don't see you before then, happy new year. Uh, we'll see you on Sunday, January 2nd. <laughs>